Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. My guest today is Linda Alsford. Linda is coming to us from England. And she is the author of two books, He Never Let Go and Being Known. I'm going, she's going to share those with us today, and I'm sure that they're going to interest a lot of people, and we're going to relate with them. Because for one, Linda is a survivor of food addiction, and she's going to share that battle with us and how she overcame that battle, which I know is uh, many people have that, um, that struggle, whether in private, in secret, or out in the open. And even though she was an evangelist, she lost her faith in God. Now, that's pretty hard to imagine. And I know that there's going to be those who can probably say, you know what, that was me. So she's going to share that with us as well. And she lost her faith because of broken dreams. And I know many, we have had broken dreams. And she's going to show us how she coped and how we can relate to that. So welcome, Linda Alsford. Thank you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good. All right, Linda, let's start with you as a young girl. What did you want to do with your life? My only dream as a young girl was sort of twofold. I wanted to be a nurse, but my main dream was to get married and have a family. I always envisioned myself being someone who would have children and be a mother. And that was my main dream in life. Um, Any work I wanted to do was very much a secondary focus to my life. I always thought the main focus of my life would be a family and not a career. And did you ever have a family? I didn't, no. I never got married, never had children. And that was really hard to deal with. Um, And it caused a lot of depression. And I buried a lot of those feelings um, to be a certain extent. And that's when I started using food instead. Um, It was very, very painful, to be honest. Um, And I couldn't even focus on the children part of it a lot of the time. I put a lot of my focus on being single because the idea of facing not having children was just so painful, I couldn't even look at it. I had to pretend I was okay to myself. I lied to myself for years that I was okay about not having children because I was so desperate to have them and I just couldn't face the pain that I wouldn't have children. 
so um, at what point did did you give up or did you just find a way to cope with this? What was the result? I guess um, at this stage I'd started being called by God into ministry and I was working as an evangelist. I was in my 30s by this time or in my early 40s and gradually began to realize that when you get to your late 30s and your early 40s, the chance of having children is greatly reduced. And I just had to start accepting it, but I wasn't accepting it very well. I was burying it, and that's always... And not, not a very sensible thing to do is to bury painful emotions, because they come out somehow, even if they don't come out in a healthy way. And did and they? Did they come out? They did eventually, um, but they came out too late, and that's what caused my falling away from God is that I had buried the emotions for far too long. And when I did finally let it out to someone, the pain just overwhelmed me. And I started blaming God and gradually turned my back on him. And the, why have you let this happen to me, God, gradually started turning into, are you there, God? And then that became, there is no God. And it happened very, very slowly over a long period of time and there's a game we play in the UK I don't know if it's played elsewhere in in the UK we call it grandma's footsteps and one child stands at the front with their back to all the other children and the children have to move from the starting place and creep up behind the one child at the front who's playing grandma and they have to creep up very quietly and try and touch the child on the shoulder without the child at the front turning round and if the child at the front turns round you've lost the game and my doubts crept up like that I didn't know they were there and all of a sudden they grabbed me by the shoulder and they had me too fast I couldn't get out of them on my own and I just turned my back on God at that point so when you said you turn your back on God how did how did that affect your family um well, most of my family weren't Christians. Okay. Um, so my parents, one of my parents was, my father was a Christian. But I became very good at hiding what was going on inside. Because at this point, I was working as an evangelist. And I was paid to talk about my faith. I was paid to talk about God. And I got very good at hiding what I was really thinking. So I kind of became two people. One person I would show to people. And I would talk about it. So I would talk about my faith out loud to to people in the church, to any family who were Christian. I pretended I still believed it all. And yet inside, I was saying, I don't believe it. It's a bunch of lies. So you must have gone through some guilt. There must have been, guilt must have been an issue. Yeah, there was guilt. Um it was just, it was really an awful time. I have to say it was one of the worst periods of my life because I i felt like I was tearing in two. Um, and it all came to a head one Christmas when I was preaching the at the main carol service. And it was the main Christmas service. I was doing an evangelistic talk and preparing that talk when I didn't believe it was really hard. Then I had to get up and preach about Jesus preach about God when I didn't believe there was a God. And out loud, I was giving the most evangelistic sermon I have ever preached. 
and inside I was saying, but there is no God. There is no God. It's all lies. And I thought my soul was going to tear in two at that point. I, I, I can't begin to describe what it was like. I thought I was going to have a breakdown completely. But I just managed to hang on to the end of the sermon, walk down. And I knew when I walked down from that sermon, I had to leave ministry as soon as possible. Um, and you do feel guilty, like you said. You feel guilty that you're turning your back on God. But by that stage, all the emotions are so mixed up. I didn't know what I was feeling. I just wanted to escape from being in ministry because I was living a lie. I was being two people and I couldn't bear that. So what did you do? I started looking for a new job. And the trouble when you're in ministry and you've been in ministry a while, um, your home and your job and your social life is all tied up with your faith. So I lived in church accommodation I had a church job and all my friends and my social life were geared around the church. So you're not just changing a job, you're completely changing everything in your life if you leave the church. But I did look for a new job and found one back home near where my mother lives, down on the south coast of England, where I had been in London, which is about 50 miles north of where I am now. And I found a job looking after sheltered housing sort of for older people who needed a little bit of support. Mm-hmm. That came, came part of your flat. nursing career then too would be. Yeah, that came in very handy at that point. Um, so I moved into a live-in job basically for two years. And when I moved down here, this place where I live is called Peace Haven. And ultimately it has become a haven of peace for me, which is very prophetic, the name, but I didn't know that at the time. That I moved into this flat and I thought I was starting my new life as an atheist. But that's not quite what happened. Really? Yeah. That, I came with the attention to Peace Haven. I'm going to be an atheist now. And I started going to a church just because that's how I knew how to relate as an okay. adult. Okay. I'd only ever been an adult as a Christian. I'd never been an adult non-Christian. So I kept on occasionally going to a church but basically I was trying to work up the courage to make my new life as an atheist. But uh, that's not what happened. Really. So um, at what point did you become addicted to food? Uh, is that during this time? before? Yeah, the- that was the whole time, gradually from my late 20s onwards. Um, and it didn't start until my late 20s. I've always enjoyed food. I've never been, you know, a, a very skinny or very slim. I've always been cuddly. <laughs> um, I, I was never technically overweight I was always at the upper end of normal range of weight until my late 20s and I developed some gynecological problems which meant that had I been trying for children my fertility might have been a bit dodgy I might not have been able to conceive anyway and that's when I think I started hiding the pain of maybe okay. have okay. children and it came out as as binging and I would just binge horribly on all sorts of food. And I put on loads of weight within a five or six years. Would that be mostly like sugars or? Sugary stuff mostly, yeah. Cake, sweets, chocolate, crisps. Huge portions at every meal. Any emotional upset would bury it and head straight for food. I could, that's the way I dealt with any difficult emotions as I went straight for food and binged until I was being sick. 
did you have any kind of support system around you? I'm in church, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I guess I didn't realize that I had food as a problem by then. I just thought I was greedy. Okay. And okay. If I could just control it, I would be okay. So I kept trying different diets and people would encourage me to go on a diet and go to Weight Watchers and all that kind of thing. And that isn't really the answer. When you're a food addict, the problem isn't physical. It isn't knowing what to eat. Right. It's an emotional addiction to food as well as a physical one because sugar is highly addictive. It's extremely addictive physically. But the emotional addiction is what was the real problem. And I was never going to be free until... I had the emotional release. So what happened there? Um, eventually, I think when I'd lost my faith, I got to a point where suddenly one day I was sat in front of the computer and for no reason that I can work out, I suddenly realized I missed God. Really? Now, I, I thought I didn't believe in him anymore. I thought there was no God. And I was more and more convinced there was no such thing as God. And suddenly I found myself missing this being I no longer believed in. And at that point, I realized I was going to have to seriously search to see if there was a God. And if there was a God, I needed to find, I needed to come back to him. But I couldn't come back to him until I knew whether he existed or not. So I then spent months seeking God and reading through things, thinking things through talking to people, occasionally getting people to pray for me, but most of it was done on my own, just reading, thinking things through. And I went through all these different thought processes, trying to work it out, and I kept a blog of all these thoughts that I was having. And I thought I was moving away from God, but actually it came to a point when I realized that I couldn't prove God. The more objective I tried to be, the more I couldn't prove whether there was a God or not. And I came to the point of realizing I couldn't prove God, that if I was completely objective, both sides, there is a God, there isn't a God, they both seem equally logical. And I, in the end, I just had to take a leap of faith. Um, if you've ever seen the movie, one that's one of the Indiana Jones movies, I can't remember which one it is now, but he's standing in front of a big chasm and has to follow the instructions in this book and he has to step off the chasm into nothing, or what feels like nothing to him. And he does it, he takes the step because this little book tells him he has to. And then the cameras pan out and you actually see there is a bridge of rock across this chasm and he couldn't see it from where he was. So he is actually walking across on solid rock bridge that he thought he was stepping off into nothing. And that's what my step of faith felt like. When I finally came back to God, I didn't know whether there was a God or not, but I just took a leap of faith, almost like shutting my eyes, took a leap, say, okay, I believe that you're there. And that point, when I prayed that prayer, the feelings all came back and the peace of God just flooded back into me again. And I knew again that there is a God. So you recognized it for what it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of knew that moment when that peace came. I knew that that's it. That is God. There is a God. Um, and then I realized then that what I, I didn't know the love of God. And for me, that was one of the key things is I didn't know intimacy with God. I knew about God in my head, 
So I set about learning about father, about God as father, about his father love, read a number of different books on the father love of God. And ultimately, the deeper I experienced the love of God, the closer I came to being able to be free from the food addiction. Now, that's interesting. Um, it was, yeah, definitely that way around. And while I was praying desperately at this stage because I knew I wasn't feeling the love of God in my heart and I wanted to feel it. And I kept praying and praying and praying that God would show it to me. And then about three or four months after I'd come back to faith, I had a dream one night. And I dreamt I was in a garage and there was this camper van and me and a group of friends were going off in this van and we were going to go traveling and I was never going to come back. I knew I wasn't ever going to come back if I got in this van. And just before I got into this van with all my luggage, I turned and in the corner there was Jesus. And he had a look of such love on his face for me. Mm. I had never been looked at with that much love before. And in this dream, I felt so loved. And I just ran up to him and he held me. And I just knew he'd always been there, just waiting for me to come home. Patiently waiting for me to turn and see him and see his love. And I just felt this overwhelming love. And when I woke up, I still felt it and I still feel it now and that love is what gave me the strength and I started meditating on it doing Christian meditations reading everything I could get my hands on reading the word and the more I dwelt in this love I got to a point when I knew I didn't need the food anymore so I stood with a friend after church one day and I just prayed with her as a witness Lord, I don't need the food anymore. You are now my refuge. Food is no longer my refuge. You are. And I haven't been since that day. And how long ago has that been? It was March 2012. So that's three years. Right, right. Yeah, and so, I've lost lost quite a lot of weight since then. I'm trying to convert it out of stones because we think in stones. In right. It's, <laughs> it's three and a half stone, and I don't know what that is in pounds. At 14 times three is 39 it's about 40 odd pounds I've okay lost. okay that's um, great maybe 40 45 pounds I've lost and I'm just started losing again now um, and basically that's come as a result of getting your emotions in order it has yeah it's come as a result of a relationship of love with father god yes it's a direct result of discovering god's father love and allowing myself to be loved by god and, that's and a that, very good point um, because sometimes we think we've got to love God and I've got and I sort of was focusing on I've got to learn to love God. But actually, there's that verse in one John. We love because he first loved us. And to me, that was what I had to do. I had to learn to receive love from him first. Rather than try to give it to him before I had learned to receive it. And learning to receive it from him, I then had it to give back to him. But that's reciprocal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I I was at a prayer conference before I lost my faith. And in this prayer conference, there were some words written up on a board somewhere. And it just said, beloved, be loved, be transformed. And those words had a deep impact on me when I rediscovered them after I'd come back to faith. 
it just learning to hear God say to me, beloved, be loved, be transformed. And the transformation has to come out of receiving God's love. And that's for me what's happened. I learned to receive God's love and it is transforming me from one degree of glory to another. Okay, so let's talk about your books a little bit. Did you write them in sequence and are they two totally different stories or are they memoirs? Tell me about your books. They're memoirs. Basically, they're the story of what I've just been talking about. Um, he Never Let Go is the story of how I lost my faith and how I found it again. And it may appear, it's not to be used as a theology book because it, the, when I talk about God and what I'm thinking about God, those were the thoughts I had at the time when I was okay. back my faith. Okay. And it's describing what I went through, what I thought, what thought processes I went through to get from not believing in God to believing in him again. And it ends with me finding my faith again. And the second book is Being Known. And I called it Being Known because I'd learnt by then that intimacy with God was the key to me being freed from food addiction. And it's the story, again, of how I came to be free from food addiction. And is this what you share when you when you speak in different venues? Yeah, normally, yes. Yeah, I'm speaking around those sort of top topics. Sometimes I've spoken to people, to eating disorder groups and... That was what I was going to ask. So what types of groups do you speak to? Okay, eating disorder, Um, that's excellent. Churches and and eating disorder groups I've spoken to quite a bit. There was a group I was going to. um, It's a a course called New ID, which is run. I think it was started in Britain, but it's now run across the world. And there are centers in the U.S. as well for it. And it's a Christian six-week course looking at eating disorders. And I ran it, I, I worked, went on it at a church in London. And we met loads of people who had been freed from different eating disorders. But I never met anyone who had been freed from overeating. I met people who were anorexics and bulimics and had been set free from those two things. That's a very I, good point. I, I, I tend to agree with you. And I can remember sitting there doing one of the course, the first or second course, so after I'd done it the first time, I went back as a helper because I knew I needed to get this message and I hadn't yet got it. And I went back as a helper because it meant I got the message drip-feeded into me again and again. And, it, yeah, I forgot what I was saying now. About the message. The, yeah, the, the, the message of the, yeah, it was um, the overeating. I never met anybody who had been set free from right. overeating. And I sat there in one of these meetings and I can remember praying. And this was before I lost my faith. And I can remember praying to God, God, I want to be free from overeating because one day I am going to stand up here and I am going to tell people I used to be an overeater. (laughs) I used to be a compulsive overeater because I've not met anyone in the course of my freedom who was an overeater. I saw one testimony on the DVD that they run at this new ID course, but I'd never met anyone in person. And I wanted to be the person that people could meet and have someone physical sit next to them and say, I used to beans too, and now I don't. And God honoured that. Do they not have an Overeaters Anonymous in England? 
yes, we do. And I did go to that for a while. But I guess I sort of had a problem with it. And it's a 12-step program, so for a lot of people it does work. But the basic message was it's something you've got to learn to live with. Okay, interesting. And, okay. Um, and, you know, you go through, like, when, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Once you're a food addict, you're always a food addict. And that was a basic underlying message. And it was learning to have this higher power help you with that. And I thought, the Jesus I see in the Gospels can set me free. I don't want to just control this illness. I want to be free. And I was, I was really stubborn. I wanted to be free. So I went for freedom. I've often wondered about that because every time you stand in front of, you know, like in an AA meeting, you are constantly reinforcing that you are an alcoholic. And I've never really understood that that concept. Whereas if you have become free, are you still a foodaholic or are you still an alcoholic? Mm. And you see, I don't think I think when I first became free, it was almost like a little shadow of a whisper on my ear every now and again if I had an emotional reaction. But it was so soft, I couldn't hear it. And so I never obeyed it. The love of God was so much stronger. But a few weeks ago, maybe two months ago, I was due for some surgery, and it was cancelled on the morning of the surgery. And I was really upset because I was desperate for the surgery. And I cried, I prayed, I talked to my family, I talked to my friends. And I got myself back to an emotional state where I was fine. I worked out the surgery was going to happen anyway. And I was worked through all the difficult emotions. The next day, I woke up with a realization that I hadn't once even had a shadow of temptation to binge as a result. And four <laughs> years ago, I would have been binging all that day and all that week. And I would have been binging until I had the surgery. And Out I, of the stress, you mean? Yeah, out of the stress of the surgery being cancelled. And it didn't even occur to me the temptation wasn't even there and it was so amazing because I thought I am free I am really free because it just doesn't occur to me to eat emotionally I still eat overeat sometimes because of greed if you put something I really like in front of me I (laughs) I need to sometimes that's greed (laughs) and that's very different yes emotional addiction to stuff food down I'm always going to be slightly overweight because I I do like food I haven't turned into someone who never eats anything and only eats minute bits of salad or anything. But I don't have that need to push down emotions with food anymore. And what do you, who is your audience, or not your audience, but who are the readers of your of your books? Like, do they appeal to a certain type of person? Like, who who is going to enjoy what you have to share? Is there anything you can um, enlighten us about that? The second book, um, Being Known, is tending, it's mainly for people who have an eating problem of some kind. Okay. It's just been put onto the recommended reading list for a local retreat centre that deals with eating disorders, a Christian retreat centre that deals with eating disorders. And they've put it on their recommended reading list um, as something really helpful for people to understand what it's like to have an eating disorder, what it's like to have a binge eating disorder, and how I found freedom. And would that be for any eating disorder or just uh, overeating? 
you could probably relate to it if it was another eating disorder or if you had any other addiction. But it, okay. I'm guessing mainly it will be aimed at people who do have an overeating problem. Okay. But having said that, the way I learnt to get through it and the lessons I learnt and what took me out of it actually apply to everybody who's got any kind of addictive behavior right that's basically what I was asking okay so if you've got an addictive behavior or you know someone who has and you want to understand them if you're someone who's never overeaten and you don't understand why somebody's got a problem with food then maybe it would help you understand that person more I and think same, that's a very good point yes definitely and the same with the first one it's tending to be read by people who have some kind of a doubt about God and wanting to know what to do with it. Um, and in fact, I spoke to somebody at a conference recently, maybe a year ago, and she came up to me and she said, I just want to thank you, she said, for writing that book, because I was starting to go through a time of doubt with God. And I read your book at that time, and she realized that she could get through it. And she said, I know I came out of it much quicker than I would have done had I not had your book. It helped her to work through this, these doubts without being scared of them. And that's the kind of person I wrote that book for. In fact, I just went home and cried because I was just so delighted. Overwhelmed by that, I'm sure. It was just that if one person yes. has come back to faith as a result of reading that book, then it's worth everything to have written it, you know. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next is that or to just make an underscore there that no matter um, everything that you went through and everything that it took to do the to do the book, et cetera, the very fact that you can help one individual, even one makes everything worthwhile. And you don't know how many people you're going to help and how many people are struggling in this area. And um, so that that's good. It's. I appreciate the fact that there's two separate books because even though they they do um, kind of overlap, there are two different types of people who are going to appreciate both and there are some that are going to appreciate one or the other. So overeating in particular would mm -hmm. be, um, what was the name of that book again? Being Known. Being Known. Being Known. The Intimacy. It's uh, actually my search for food, my desire to overeat was it's basically a search for intimacy for emotional intimacy with god okay okay and the other one dealing with your broken dreams that was and you never let go and your lack of faith yeah and how you came back full mm -hmm. circle and even more yeah. so that again as i'm sure two different subjects but also two very similar ones that many people will be able to relate to. Well, mm -hmm. Linda, I appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing from your heart and sharing from your pain and also, more importantly, sharing from the other side when you have become free and become an overcomer. And so that, that was wonderful. I, I wish you well. I'm sure that our audience will have uh, questions and they'll be able to hear the uh, program and um ask questions and find your website we'll have all that information put together and it's been a pleasure linda i really thank appreciate you. that thank you it's been a pleasure talking to you carol okay thank you and goodbye okay thank you bye-bye thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham 
Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.